Hi, Josh. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hi, how's it going, man? Um, this is the first time we've ever spoken. Even though I feel like I've been following you on Twitter for like maybe a year and a half, two years. I can't, I don't remember Same, when. Man. And that's the thing is like, I have all of these people that I know. I know they're, I know people buy their profile picture or their Twitter photo more than I, like, I don't know. I've, we've never hung out. We've never talked, but yet I know you. And there's all of these people that I know. I have like close friends on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these other social medias that I've never met. And then suddenly, like now, because of quarantining and what's going on, we hop on Zoom Zoom conversations or Discord conversations together. And suddenly I'm like, oh, they really are real people. <laughs> we are flesh and blood. We bleed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I, I found that I've kind of gotten closer to some people who I've never who have just been icons to me, like icons as in like on their profile, not icons as in like, you know, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I totally yeah. get what you're saying. Um, I, well, I wanted to make a confession right off the bat is when I sent you the message to, uh, be on the podcast, it was honestly just because I liked the stuff that you posted. I don't even, I don't remember nice. how I fo followed you or why it was probably like a, a film festival or something, but I just followed you because I, I liked the stuff that you posted. Then I was like, oh, you said you were trying to get the word out about your movie. That's when you sent me all the materials. And I was like, wait, this this guy was on Rebel Without a Crew. What's happening? <laughs> I yeah. didn't actually That's know like that you were on Rebel Without a Crew when I messaged you. <laughs> so it, it was And I'm I I'm so that person who just like anyone anyone says like, hey man, I have a podcast are you interested in talking? And I'm like, here's everything I've ever done. Like, just let's talk. Like, that is so me. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was actually a shock to me. Like, I was like, oh, Robert Rodriguez, what's happening? I, I didn't know. Um, so that, that was a pleasant surprise, sir. Um, but you sent me, you ended up sending me both your movies and the entire, like, five or seven hour cut of Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've... For those who don't know, I have a cut of Rebel Without a Crew that's just like the full series that I send to people that, you know, are interested in what we're doing and are willing to talk about it. So I send that as like a screener. Um, so I sent you the screener of everything. And I was just like, hey, man, check it out. And if you want to talk about this process and what we're doing, let's let's do it. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so I binged it in like two days, like the whole nice. thing. It, I actually really loved it. I didn't watch it when it was on. I'm sorry. Guilty of that. But uh, man, it was I actually really loved it. Um, and I've I've now it's great, right? It, it is super fun. It's super fun, especially because that book was like a Bible to me back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, who? who yeah, who I always say it? that I, I, I read Rebel the same way my grandma read the Bible, like read Psalms before <laughs> bed. She would sit down like grandma would lay right. down in bed and she would open the Bible and, you know, read from proverbs and psalms and whatever that's the same way i was like and robert peed into a bottle while he edited i'm like ah oh, comfort <laughs> someone else is living through this shit right. at the same time as me like in a different era and there put it aside and that's that's what we're looking for is that thing that comforts us into like wanting to create something and that's what rebel really is right and so when we went on the show that was a big thing is i wanted it to feel the same way it felt to read the book like that was a big thing for me was being sure that I was honest to that. That's why I didn't bring all the other filmmakers had a uh, director of photography that came along with them. 
I didn't have a DP because Robert didn't have a DP. I brought my best friend because Robert brought his best friend. Like, Daniel doesn't know what a fucking Canon C300 (laughs) is. Like, Daniel doesn't know cameras. He has no idea if I'm like, hey, we should put that 18 millimeter lens on. Daniel is like, you could have said Hubba Jubba Juba. Like, he has no (laughs) idea what any of the technical stuff is. Yeah. But Daniel's my best friend and he knows how to talk to me and comfort, like, like, be comfortable in the moment and crack jokes and what I need. So that's why I brought him because that's what Robert did when he brought his buddy on to make El Mariachi. He was just like, I guess we're going to go make a movie together and you look like a villain. You look like a hero. I guess this is what we're going to do. And that's what I wanted. So that's totally what we did. No. And I was, that's actually, you know what? You've already answered the first thing I was going to bring up about it. Cause after watching it, I loved the whole thing. I thought all the filmmakers were awesome. You're, you definitely spoke to me after watching it because of the fact that you talked about working with your friends and how it was not yeah. only important to you, it kind of enhances the experience. And as a guy who's always not only kept wor- it close to the cuff, that really speaks to me with who I work with and stuff. Like I that that yeah. really spoke to me, bringing your friends in, you know. And not e- not only bringing my friends, but when I cast my actors that, you know, were at that cattle call that they had, they threw that big like Yeah. 300 people were in a room and we were like had to cast our movie in an hour and they were like pick your people go and we were just <laughs> like this is not the way it works right i picked people that i just wanted to talk to like i talked to britney for a few minutes and she was like a total sweetheart a total badass showed up with her motorcycle helmet and leather coat and i was just like when i wrote maria for the good exorcist that was the character that i wanted to be and then i saw britney and i'm like that's the person i want to be i'm casting her like yeah. She's got her leather coat, her motorcycle, and her motorcycle helmet. That's the baddest of badasses <laughs> in this room right now. She is in my movie. And then, like, Avery came over and we started talking. The dude who plays Stanley, we just started talking about how crazy the process was and whatever. And I realized, like, oh man, I can call this guy and he would show up to hang out tomorrow. And he literally did. He That's came awesome. out the next day and tried on clothes. Like, I just cast people that I thought were, would be fun to hang out with. So that's I think that's a big thing. And my cast was amazing. Like, I'm still making movies with them now. I'm hoping that once this COVID all ends, I can make movies with them again because they were that great. They became they kind of became your friends, right? They became my family. Like, yeah, they're, I was on a call with Avery and Brittany a couple weeks ago. We did a like two weeks ago. We did a uh, audio commentary for The Good Exorcist for Trauma. And the two of them it was like we've known each other for forever. And I start to think about, I'm like, well, we actually only hung out for that couple of weeks on rebel a few weeks at South by Southwest, but yet we're like family. I could call Brittany up to right now. Brittany and I have a, uh, uh, art We're we're selling our art together. She has some photographs and I have some paintings that we're selling at like an art fair digitally. That's amazing, and like, man. That's the that's the kind of friends you dream of having, and right, I got right. them from Rebel Crew. <laughs> I guess I should give some context here, because uh, you're not just—it's not that you're just a filmmaker. You're a writer, director, animator. I guess we could call you a DP, and you've worked on way more stuff than I've realized. Obviously, you did animation for Kevin Smith. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, that was my first job I ever had. Um, I mean, like first real animation filmmaking job was I uh, 
I was working at Target at the time, and Kevin put out this like call to animators to do a Darth Vader versus, um, what was it? Batman versus Darth Vader. I don't. It was like from Hollywood Babylon, the mm-hmm. podcast he did with Ralph Garman. Yeah, and he was like, "What would it be like if Batman fought Darth Vader?" And they put out like animators call to action, send us your thing. And I sent in a video that I did on like a weekend that I had off of work, and. I got second or third place, but from that, they hired a bunch of people to make cartoons for them for the Smotimations. So I started doing Smotimations, and I worked with uh, Steve Stark, and I worked with Ken Plume, and we made a bunch of cartoons together. And because I dug on horror, when Tusk started coming together, they wanted someone to animate the podcast that Tusk was coming from. Right. And I was like the obvious go-to guy because I like horror movies. So they were like, well, what if we let the horror guy make the Tusk cartoon? <laughs> so I did that. And then I did some animation for the actual movie that got cut. And that's that actually led me to getting on Rebel Without a Crew because that animation led me to Josh Roush. Josh Roush and I did a cartoon together and that cartoon got on Al Ray Network. And that's how I met that, Robert. Man, that's a you know what? And now I'm realizing also, as you were talking, we have another connection. I used to write for moviepoopshoot.com directly hired. Oh, nice! <laughs> directly hired by Ken Plume. I haven't talked to Ken in about maybe eight to ten years. So yeah, uh, same. I, but Ken, my column Ken is, is like still a total up. sweetheart. He's a great guy. Uh, my column is still hosted on uh, a site called Fred, <laughs> my old column from years back. But yeah, that's I didn't, <laughs> you know, Ken Plume. Okay, okay, it's, I, connections. That's amazing. Yeah, man, that's that great. is a total connection. It's <laughs> a total connection. Like seven degrees of Ken Plume, <laughs> right? Uh, and he's still uh, he's still doing uh, his podcast with, uh, with Dana Snyder, isn't he? Is that still going? Yeah, he does. He does a podcast with Dana Snyder. He does his like uh, a bit of a chat with Ken Plume. He does a yeah. bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's a, very cool. He's still crushing it. Yeah. So any, yeah, I mean that's crazy, man. That like succession of things that eventually led to you working with Robert Rodriguez. That's incredible. my hero. Like literally, my yeah. like it was so funny because the first day we showed up to Rebel Without a Crew, Robert came out and he asked everyone. He's like. Who is the one person that you would want to be mentored by? You know, and it went around the room to everyone. And I was like, man, I can't say Robert Rodriguez. Like, he's standing right there because he right, is right. the one. Like, right, right. If yeah. someone had asked me five years ago, who do you want to learn from? It would have been Robert because Robert was like, I want to make those kind of grindhouse movies. It, it, he is the the guy who got me into filmmaking. But then I, you know, said Kevin Smith and then I, because he's the guy who gave me my first job, like he is the guy <laughs> I owe everything to. No, I probably would have said the same thing, to be honest with you, honestly, because of the book. That book was like we yeah, already right. said, the book was so legendary to me, but it's also the, the also I think uh, Robert, the, the tone of Robert's whole career, which I feel like people have always kind of tried to like in the early days, they tried to like push him into the more serious. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm making this, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, like I've always loved that about Robert. Like he's always just like, no, I'm, I'm not the guy you keep thinking I am. I'm not that guy. I'm going to do I know, what I want to do. What, and that's what I, yeah, I think Alita kills like love it or hate it. Alita is an amazing movie just in the fact that it takes these weird risks mm-hmm. that 
no other $250 million movie is taking. They kill the dog and make Wizard of Oz references <laughs> and then have eyeballs in a freaking bottle. Like, it is the weirdest it's super $250 odd, million. Dollar. I love it. It is a grindhouse, big-budget movie without an ending. Like, that kills me. <laughs> like, that movie right. doesn't even end. Like, you're sitting there going... Wait, so we just got to the beginning of Alita's story? Like it's so good. So God, I, I really hope Only they, rock. I really hope they continue it too. If, I don't know if that's I do too. Happen, I think but, they will. I think yeah. they will. I think Robert loves it so much. Just talking to him about it, Robert's so passionate about that that I think if nothing else, we'll get a seven thousand dollar Alita. <laughs> but he'll find a way to make it. I'd watch that. <laughs> I mean, the All Right Network just do a TV movie of the Alita just continuing the story. I'm sure the actors would sign. Ah, uh, yes. I remember I saw it at a oh press screening, and they did like that half hour making of after the movie, and it was like mind boggling what they went through to shoot that. With you know, just like the fact that they had like a town that was just filled with like Truman Show cameras capturing every angle of Alita herself. It was like for for dialogue yeah, it's scenes. Crazy. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Oh good. Yeah, like you said it's so, so good. That's my They poured they poured it's... the money into this crazy weird thing. It's like the time and money. I guess it was Cameron though. He had faith. That's why they yeah. had Jimmy Cameron sitting there going like, "Hey, you want 7 million dollars to make a set?" And that, like in Austin, Texas, like there was one moment where I was sitting around cuz my movie cost $7,000 to That's make. That's the good exercise and I was we're talking sitting... about, right? Yeah, the Good yeah. Exorcist. I was sitting there editing the Good Exorcist, and I was I I took a director's chair out of uh, Robert's studio, and I brought it into the Alita set, and I set up this chair with my laptop and my hard drive, and I was sitting there in this on this chair, editing my stupid little seven thousand dollar movie, and I looked around, and I'm like, I'm on a seven million dollar set, <laughs> seven shit, million dollar set. <laughs> It was, you know, the scene when Alita is doing the, like, basketball thing around that, like, fountain or whatever. That's where I was sitting, right there, in this beautiful, like, amazing Steve Joyner set, editing my stupid little priest killing a teddy bear movie. (laughs) Like, it's also too like, but I loved it. You're surrounded by this, and then your your whole, all your equipment is your laptop. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. This is my, this is my editing bay on my lap, you know. That's amazing. I, I I was literally just like, this is the dream. Like the right, dream right. is that you can make a feature film. Like I'm making a feature film surrounded by this genius. Like how amazing. Right. Now, was that actively filming or were you just there on an off day or were you actually allowed on set? They had finished filming Alita at that time, but it was oh, like okay. super hush hush. We couldn't yeah. even put a camera in the direction of the Alita set. Like they wouldn't even allow us to film in that area so in uh the good exorcist there's a scene where father gill is in hell and my hope was that i could have father gill in hell with the predators set and the alita set behind him but they wouldn't let me film in that direction so instead i i turned the camera the other way and he he was kneeling at the spot that bruce willis stood for uh for Planet Terror. So Daniel is kneeling where Bruce Willis stood for Planet Terror and facing this like beautiful background of buildings in Robert's crazy airport of a set. (laughs) Like that's his studio is this airport. 
So that's where that, Father that, Gill is. So in that hell. storage container is in Planet Terror, the one that he's that that scene. Yeah, takes that's in Planet Terror. That's amazing, yep. man. I didn't know that's that. Where Bruce Willis stood. Yeah, we, and all of the cars from like Planet Terror, Kill Bill, uh, uh, Machete, the like Mel Gibson car, like all of those vehicles are behind us while we're filming that scene, but we couldn't turn the camera to show that, so we just turned it the other way. But I know that it's back there. Dude, you were in like you're like in filmmaking mecca of the last twenty five years. It was. It really was like mecca. It felt like I was a part of something way bigger than me, and I just embraced it and went, "Ah, oh, fuck it. They're gonna let me in. I'm gonna enjoy it." <laughs> I mean, I look. I haven't seen all the movies. I have uh, I, that that the show produced. I've only seen The Good Exorcist, but I've gotta imagine that that kind of had the most. Robert Rodriguez spirit like specifically con like the actual content of the movie itself it felt like you were channeling him a lot you know I definitely understood like I went really really grindhouse with mine and I I went really comedy which I love I love Robert yeah that's good I I love that people there it's polarizing some people love it some people hate it but the fact that we just decided to embrace the comedy versus the horror. Yeah. Daniel and I said when we went in, we were like, people are going to hate this because it has exorcist in the name. (laughs) They're going to want horror. They're going to want horror. And we were just like, fuck them. Let's make what we want to make. Let's make each other laugh. And that's all we ever did. We only set out to make each other laugh. Right, right. And make our wives laugh. Like, there's half of the jokes in the movie are just because our wives will think they're funny. (laughs) So we just went stupid and silly with it and embraced a weird exploitation that we hadn't seen. Exploiting laughs. Like, we really just decided to... You were, and that's speaking directly to me because I kind of lean more towards the laugh side. I love comedy horror. It's like my favorite genre. And stuff that I'm not that worried about stuff something like that being scary. I kind of want the the laughs and the crazy, and I think it brings both. Yeah, you know. And that's the thing is like the movie is weird because a lot of times what happens is horror comedy is a weird genre because usually it's more horror than comedy. Right. And a lot of the times it becomes like a muddled weird spot where. Perfect example. Drag Me to Hell, I think, is one of the most perfect movies ever made. It's and a the reason masterpiece, why, dude. It's a masterpiece. And so many people hated it. Like, that movie got panned. And the reason it got panned is because it does not take the horror serious ever. The second a jump scare is supposed to happen, instead they have an old lady gumming a chick. <laughs> then the second you think that you're lulled into, like, Ah, this is just stupid. They jump scare you and they throw you for a loop. They kill a kitten in that movie. Right. They literally kill a kitten. You're not even supposed to kill the dog. <laughs> this movie kills the cute kitten. Drag Me to Hell is a masterpiece and it's PG-13 on top of it. It's kind of a punch I mean, in the face of- on every the like every scene has a punch directly in the face of what you're expecting. Even when I watch it now, when I've seen it a hundred times. I'm always like, exactly. oh, right. That's why I love it. I'm <laughs> yeah, always shocked. Right. right. My favorite scene is when dude gets blood, like he, she bloody noses all over the counter. And he's like, oh, I got it in my mouth. I got it in my mouth. That is the nastiest it's... scene ever <laughs> in the weirdest comedy. I'd ever argue made. that the gumming of the chin is 
<laughs> I mean, that's what grosses me out. You could also argue <laughs> that the bile pouring out of oh, the old yeah. woman's mouth into it's it's a nasty movie. It's gross. I, I remember I when like that, gross. Speaking of heroes, like if I had to make a list, Rodriguez and Raimi would probably be at the top that we're talking Raimi's about. Raimi's my number one. Raimi, Raimi's Raimi kind of the Raimi. Yeah. Raimi and Burton are like they're like neck and neck. Mm -hmm. And it's only because Burton somehow weaseled his way into being like he can make whatever he wants. I just we my kids and I were just watching uh, Frank and Weenie. Yeah. Like for Halloween. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how that movie got made. How do you convince someone I want to make a stop motion black and white monster movie? <laughs> right. Like you're Tim Burton. I can't get anyone to. You're Tim Burton. <laughs> Tim <laughs> Burton is a fucking genius. Yeah, I, he can do anything. Yeah, you can do anything he wants. And also, I mean, that was like a full circle thing for his career because the original Frankenweenie was kind of his first break in a way, right? You know, like it the, was, the short... but it's also we because it's it's also on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so good. Yeah. It so is. we immediately watched it after we watched Frankenweenie the movie. We watched the short, and I sat there going. How did he get people to fund this? Every shot is beautiful, and it's like 16 millimeter, 1987 or whatever, 1985. Yeah. I don't even know. But, like, it's gorgeous. God, Tim Burton just hit the jackpot over and over and over. That gold and age anyone Burton, who man. complains. His gold you know, age is, like, and I, untouchable. It's untouchable, but I'm still, like, I feel like I might go through a now Burton phase as a man like as an old man and be like maybe this new Burton is better than we give him credit for I you know what I I, I've that. been hard on him in the last 20 years I'll admit I have two I have two but I think maybe Big Fish is great Big Fish is great um, I can't say I'm a fan of the Alice in Wonderland or like Willy Wonka or the Willy Wonka I, I'm not I, I want to be have you seen I want to be too. Have you seen Big Eyes? And have you seen I like Dumbo? Big Eyes. So I, I started Big Eyes, and I have turned it off three times. And this is not a this is not a thing against Burton. Right. I just get bored by very somber movies. <laughs> okay. And that okay. is a somber ass movie. It is. That movie just meanders. It feels like but he I made it like to get I, it out of his system. Like he needed a, a relaxing thing. Like, yeah, and I I think. If I'm in the right mood, I have a glass of wine and I just got done painting and I sit down and I watch Big Eyes, I might be in tears. <laughs> like, I just have to be in the right mood. Right, right. And that's the same with, I feel like Dumbo might be the same way. That if I watch it with my kids, me and my sons might be crying, going like, oh, our moms. Like, we'll find the mood. I think Tim Burton just, he knows he's got to find the mood in the time. Yeah. I, I, I will say, I think Dumbo is a beautiful movie. And I kind of love that it's kind of a, if you watch the whole thing, the theme is like a middle finger to Disney itself, which only yeah. he could probably get away with on a movie with that high of a yes. budget in a remake. And, and, <laughs> and OG Dumbo was kind of a fuck you to right. cartoon movies in and of itself. So maybe he was like on point. I still think Ed Wood might be the most masterpieces of masterpieces. I would say that's ever. his masterpiece. Ed, yes. I Ed Wood is seriously oh my god for filmmakers if you haven't if you haven't cried watching ed wood you fucked up like that movie <laughs> seriously is yeah just a masterpiece 
Yeah, I I feel like that's the movie when I when I talk or when I even when I listen to filmmakers talk, that's the one of his that gets mentioned. That's the one that keeps getting brought up. Like I think it's I feel like it's gotten more prestige as time has gone to the point where now I think that's you know, that's Tim Burton though. He knows yeah. how to make something that gets prestige as it goes on. Like when uh when Batman Returns came out, I remember everyone being like this is so fucking weird. <laughs> This well, is, is not a Batman yeah. movie. Yeah, it is. It is. It's super now weird. it's like yeah. it, there uh, the amount of people who say that that's their favorite Batman movie though blows me away. It happens right. all the time where I'm like, "What's your favorite Batman movie?" And they're like, "Oh man, I love Returns." That's probably my we're, favorite we're, Batman it, movie, honestly. Same. I'm telling you right it, now. Same. Yeah, yeah. If I could only watch one Batman movie ever again, it would be Returns, and. Th- and it's, it's like, and it's so Tim Burton. It's like, I agree with somebody's like, dude, that's not a Batman movie. That's a Tim Burton movie. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I like agree that it's, there's more, there definitely is more Batman-y takes out there. You know what I mean? But I like the oh, movie yeah. itself. Oh, yeah. It's like, I have friends who are huge Spider-Man fans and they don't like Raimi Spider-Man movies. And I'm like, I love them. But they're like, they're not accurate to what I think Spider-Man is. And I was like, well, I don't really care about that. <laughs> No, I don't care about that part. I care about Raimi, man. You know, I don't care about with with uh, returns. I don't care about Batman. I don't care about Penguin. I don't care about Catwoman. What I care about is the overall arcing vibe of that movie. It's just so perfect. And that's why like Raimi's uh, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 is a masterpiece. Dude, you're speaking my language here. Stop it. You're reading my mind, man. (laughs) Watching Watching Raimi know how to just make everyone put forth a performance. Like, right. I love watching everyone in that movie. Two is kind of him, uh, as is, I would say, Drag Me to Hell. It's like the the last two times I would say Raimi was firing on all 11 cylinders mm-hmm. was Drag Me to Hell and Spider-Man 2, right? I mean, I can't think of... Well, the- I mean, he's great. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not insulting everything else. I'm just saying, like, firing on everything that makes him great. Those two That's movies. best Raimi. That's but best Raimi. Outside of Evil Dead. Outside of Evil Dead or something like that. You know what I mean? Man, I don't know. If I had to choose, I'm I'm being bold, and I have said this before, but I would pick Drag Me to Hell over an Evil Dead any day. I really? love me some Drag Me to Hell. Oh, yes. I'm a big Drag Me to Hell fan. There's it, just something It is about... kind of Evil Dead 4-ish. It's, it is Evil Dead 4. Yeah. She's... Oh my God, she's channeling Bruce Campbell to totally. the furthest extent. She's getting gummed by an old woman. <laughs> like it is so Evil Dead Four. Yeah, he puts but her like, through similar hell as he put Bruce through. Definitely. I love Bruce Campbell. Yeah, and I love. I but I also I'm a big proponent of a simple plan. I think that story is amazing, and I think Billy Bob is just so fun to watch in the convoluted simpleton mentality yeah. that is a character Agreed. i've never seen before someone who obviously understands that he's simple-minded and is trying to figure out the best route that like, is such he, an it, unsung it, hero it's kind of amazing that billy bob has two great idiot savant performances you know like he's uh he's a you know because sling bay i'm not saying that it's it's comparable to Sling Blade, but it is that feeling of like they kind it of is, know though. they it know is. who they are, but they aren't smart enough to know other things that are just as simple, you know. 
Right. I, I love I love Sling Blade to death. I think that movie's amazing, but I think there's something about a simple plan where mm-hmm. that guy is so human. There's something so human about the guy who is an idiot, but also trying to figure out what he should be doing. Do you f- Because that idea of like finding the bag of money is something we all talk about, like right, winning right. the lottery, finding I'd love that. Yeah. And then you throw in a simpleton who's in the mix of it all. But he's not such a simpleton that he's like, he's not Sling Blade. He's not that. He's But he's like trying to figure, I love it. I it's love great, it so man. much. Do you think that that movie is not talked about enough when Rami comes up? Because I do. I feel like. Oh, 100%. It, it's that not, it's not mentioned. Both of those two movies. And which one? A Dan- the Gift, which is another Sam oh, yeah, Raimi movie right. that is amazing. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, Daniel just messaged me about uh, Raimi's uh, Western. Dude, I am still. It's my favorite Western. I love it. I love it's that so movie. good. It's so good. Like, I kind of want people to rewatch it because I feel like it, it just doesn't have eyes anymore. Either everyone grew up and the forgot pl- about watching on TBS or kids don't know about it or something. But <laughs> it's the most exciting Western ever made. But the problem is, is it's so like tongue in cheek spark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. People get like they get sort of it's it is just Western enough to be a Western and just punk rock weird enough to be punk rock weird so the two never quite combine like you have grandpas fighting young kids over why this movie is good right. and that's the problem with it it's also it's also as as we've said it's it's really weird like Sharon Stone it's so in that role weird. like the way that came about was like she could do anything she wanted at the time and she loved Army of Darkness so much she chose Raimi for it like what do we, and then yeah. it, and then it produced that movie which I think if you look at the poster the artwork and everything you're not expecting the movie that is going in right I never was I think that and the trailer as well there's yeah, so it, many it, elements of that movie that don't work to what it becomes right and what it becomes is something so awesome which is just like uh, Batman Returns right which Batman Returns is a movie that people didn't expect like. A sexy woman, like s- being sexy around Danny DeVito, like that throws us <laughs> no, all for a loop. Okay, <laughs> and don't 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 downplay. It. It's not just Danny DeVito here. It's like Danny DeVito times Danny one thousand Vin- disgusting Danny DeVito, <laughs> right? Biting a man on the face, right? Literally biting a man on the face. It, that's my favorite scene of the movie. Is you're <laughs> at least my nose is gushing blood. What an amazing <laughs> scene! Oh, so good. God. Or I I, I'm a big Tim fan Burton. of. Uh, don't you think that's a little? And then he shoots him. No, it's a lot. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so good, man. Oh, so good. That's and and to put that I on, to put to make. To put that in it back then, even to put something that disgusting in a major Hollywood motion picture, yes. where you have something like and you said, it, the the contrast of sexy to absolutely repulsive, <laughs> and be like, "This is PG thirteen, motherfucker!" Like I just can't <laughs> right, believe right. that movie got made. I can't believe it got made. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, you need you need kind of need power to do something that weird, or you need you need to, to have money and do something that weird. Let me uh, rephrase that. <laughs> Because you can do it with but no money. But. So you got to be so in the right place and smart and lucky the way Tim Burton was. And that's yeah. why I respect the hell out of Tim Burton. But I respect the hell out of Sam Raimi. And I, you know, 
these those are the guys that have inspired me to just take risks and do what I do to my fullest extent. When I made Grey Woods, I was just like, ah, fuck it. We're going to make the movie we make and right. Now, let's just do it. Like, so who I'm cares get- what let, who cares what people say. I'm getting the sense that like kind of Burton and Raimi and Rodriguez kind of inspired the good exorcist. Is there other filmmakers you'd name when we're talking about Grey Woods plot? I mean, Kevin Smith, because I worked on Tosk, and right. before working on right. Tosk, I was like, I had this idea years ago. Like, the first movie I wanted to make was a movie about a guy who turns another guy into a Spider-Man because he wants to. I like the idea of a Frankenstein monster who wants to become Frankenstein. Right. That's a movie I've never seen before. Right. Like, there's a movie called uh, Terror is a Man, where a guy gets turned into like a cat monster. Terrorism and Man? Is that what you just said? Terror. Terror is a man. Oh, is like, a terror, man. <laughs> Terrorism yeah, Man. Is a man. Like, yeah. yeah. Terror is a man is like a really great superhero, though. Terrorism <laughs> yeah. Man. Terrorism Man. That's a lot. Ter- it's a hefty subject. The- terror. <laughs> That's a- Donnie has that covered. Let's right, be right, honest. Right. Terror. Uh. Terror is Terror is a man is like a movie based on the uh it's like that uh Isle of Dr. Moreau mm-hmm. story. The people making animal creatures. And I love that. I love the people being turned into animal monsters. And when I saw Ta or like when I got the script for Tusk, because I was working on it, I was like, wow, this is like a great idea. Right, but I, I like the idea of the monster wanting to become the monster, yeah. and that never happens in Tusk. He never like Justin Long doesn't want to be Tusk, and no, so Tusk is invariably we, sadder in its own way, in a different way. It's a, it's, it's like an imprisoned the opposite man. It's a, yeah, 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 and and Frankenstein is the same way. Frankenstein doesn't want to be alive. Like when you watch Frankenstein, he is a tortured soul who is forced to come back. Like I always hated that. I hated that the person who becomes the monster doesn't get being the monster. Even in Do- Island of Dr. Moreau, all of, every so you, you want them to embrace the their situation basically is what you're saying. I wanted them to embrace the situation. So I had this idea years ago of someone becoming a Spider-Man. And that was kind of sort of the idea. And as we started filming, that idea evolved into the dog man that is <laughs> Grey Woods plot. Yeah. But like I really really wanted this idea of the the man who wanted to become the monster. And so when I started writing Greywood's plot, we really, you know, pushed to 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 make that come to fruition. This idea of like the monster man who wants to become Frankenstein, be, the Frankenstein monster becoming Frankenstein's monster. Right, right. I think you did. I think you actually you achieved that because by the end, it's, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but you definitely achieved that. Like it has a different feel than Tusk. I'm okay. You know, I'm going to say I'm, I'm okay spoiling it because <laughs> you really don't get it until you, you watch see it. it. You gotta it's watch so it. fucking weird because yeah. like everyone starts watching it and you get into the movie and you just start watching these friends be friends. And that was a big thing. Like when I write a script, I always write down five words at the beginning. Like mm-hmm. I sit down and I write five words so that anytime I get off track, I can come back to those words and be inspired again. Mm -hmm. And word number one was friendship. 
So when you watch the movie, you'll always be brought back to the friendship of it all. Right. Whether that friendship is between Miles and Dom or something else. Well, that's you'll you'll have to wait and see that. <laughs> right. Right. No. Um, when I when I finished it, I thought to myself, it made me feel. Um, how can I say this without? I love Tusk. Let me say that first. I love Tusk. I'm a big fan of Tusk. Um, but this, but your movie kind of felt like if Tusk was serious, even though it's it's yeah. got funny yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. But like uh, Tusk, to me, it, it always plays as I think is intentional. It always plays as though we're watching something insane that's supposed to be funny whereas yours to me actually played like a man's descent into a dog into the madness of be- of accepting being a dog you know what i mean like i felt different Which is fu- both yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. Because you know? it's, right because it's weird because mine is funnier through it like mm-hmm. at the beginning it starts out funnier and you get more chuckles like right. early on whereas tusk is kind of serious early on and you start to find these characters yeah, I, and, and then mine takes a weird twist and like really hits you hard, right? But there is something about. I for think me, it was that the execution part of what too. it was. I, I I really wanted to hit people with a bat in the back of the head, like <laughs> almost literally, and that was a big part of it. Like we we when we filmed that, we were like, okay, this is where the movie changes, right. and we need to make sure that the audience understands. We're about to go very, very different from what you thought you were going to see at this point. Well, you're playing with a very similar setup as he was, but yeah. Let me say this: when I saw Tuscan theaters, right, I laughed my ass off at the end, not because I thought it was bad, but I think the yeah. ending of Tusk is actually extremely funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know what I mean? Like, it. I get why it's supposed to be oh, sad, totally. but it's hilarious. Yeah, totally. I did not laugh at the ending of Greywood's plot. Greywood's is literally the opposite. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's not, what I'm trying to say. setting you up the laugh. Yeah, I, I totally get it. We yeah. actually intentionally went opposite, but we also, that's the movie we wanted to make 20 years ago. Like, yeah. that's not something oh, I didn't new. think you were this copying. This is the idea yeah. we had. Yeah, and I no, and I don't think people think we are. I think people go, oh shit, he had something he needed to say. And Kevin says all the time, if you think you can do it your way, do it your way. If you mm-hmm. want to record a podcast, do a podcast. If you want to make a movie that you think you can make better than me, make that movie. It's not better or worse. It's just my version. And that my version of this monster story was very different than Island of Dr. Moreau, different than Tusk, different than The Fly. I had a different story to tell, and I had to tell it. So I did yeah, it man. as fast as I could with no budget. That's the best part. Like when you look at the budgets of all of the other movies and they're like, you know, Tusk was two million, the fly was twenty million, whatever right, it right. was. My my movie was I probably spent most of my money on booze. <laughs> like literal like legitimately pizza, Jack right? Daniels. Yeah. Booze like I'm not even kidding. Booze and pizza. It's always the food. Literally man. The it's most, always the yeah, food. It was the food and the booze. Yeah. So yeah, we I mean, I had four, I had three passionate friends, uh, Daniel, Nathan Strauss, and Keith Radical, and those guys came along with me for the ride, and we just made a movie together. That was what no, we man. wanted to do, and we did it. 
uh, if you're okay with talking a little spoilers, the one thing I took away from it is exactly what you're saying is all the other movies you mentioned, I always feel like there's an element of please kill me. End this at the end. And I didn't well, feel that's that, my favorite that, part that, is that, you know, that, end, I get that from your movie, you know what I mean? No, even yeah, yeah. even the dude who dies, he looks at the <laughs> other dude, the dog man, and he goes, So what do we do now? Like that's <laughs> right, right. my favorite part. Like Keith looks at me, uh Miles looks at Dom and he just goes, So what do we do now? And then he eats him, and you're just like, Oh yeah, it isn't that. No one is no one is ever going. Just kill me. Just kill me. <laughs> like, th- that's not the way human nature works. Like, that's the ultimate bad. Yes. If you're the woman who's been trapped on the alien ship, like, that to me, that's the ultimate kill me is aliens. Right, when right. she's like trapped and she's like, kill me. Right, right. Like, yes. Okay. Then kill me. But the dude who's like, you're my best friend. I get that you're a dog boy. <laughs> Just. What do we do? Are you going to kill me or are we going to move on? Are we going to still be friends? There's a movie it reminded me of. And I don't know if I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it reminded me a little bit of my boyfriend's back. <laughs> I don't know if you ever. Yeah, remember. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember that movie. Because there's a, that, that's like, a, it, the, the wry wit of that movie where, some, where there was like he's talking to his friend and the, the dream he has with his girlfriend. Both times are just like. Just take a little bit. You know what I mean? They like accept that he's yeah. a zombie and they were just like, go ahead. Or is this what we're doing? You know, I love you. Go ahead. Just do it. That's what that moment kind of reminded me of. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's totally right. Yeah. That is totally on point. That's like what... this idea of just, come on. <laughs> yeah, what are dude. we doing? Like, but... I, I see what's happened here. You're my best bud. Just, I accept. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> I think there is this thing of like modern movies go so like placating to the audience because the audience understands what's happening all the time. So they're either like you're in or you're out. Right. But movies like My Boyfriend's Dead in the 90s, you were just like they, they still understood. There's this. Which is a, it's a spoof movie, too. But I mean, it. It is, you know, and my movies kind of like the Greatwood's plot it is, is kind dude, of but a spoof. It made me feel. Like there was actual like darkness, I think, at the end of that movie. Where so uh, it's not just yeah, yeah. Totally. I didn't, I didn't get there's the spoof also, feeling from it. If that's what I'm trying to say, you know. Yeah, but there's also like when you watch something like a '90s comedy, like Tommy Boy. There's a spoof element. It's a comedy and it's stupid, but right. there's also like a serious friend movie in there. Absolutely, yeah. That's what I I miss. That I miss people being willing to make a stupid comedy and also a really serious buddy comedy. Like Tommy yeah. boy is the epitome of comedy to me because that movie was man. We need to hang out. If you're ever in town, dude, Jesus, we love all the same <laughs> yeah, stuff. Right. Man. <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, uh, I feel like if you, I could point to modern stuff that maybe hits that would be like Edgar Wright, maybe as far as, uh, totally you know like that like serious like the buddy it's not just a joke that they're friends the friendship is real and you feel that and that's the thing like we we really with both the good exorcist and Greywood's plot daniel and i were both like well what does Shaun of the dead do what does what does edgar wright do but what would he do with seven thousand dollars <laughs> like with nothing like what would edgar wright do if he had nothing and knew he was gonna make garbage because that's the problem is with $7,000, you're not making a real movie. With nothing, you're not making a real movie. 
what you're making is something that could maybe play to a handful of people and they might dig it. You know, they, like, they have to be able to go on the ride of low budget or else it's exactly it's not for they them. have to go on the ride. And I think even El Mariachi fine. kind of plays with that. Like I know people who don't like El Mariachi. Oh my god. You know? I I honestly if someone told me El Mariachi cost a million dollars, I'd be like, yeah. this is garbage. <laughs> but when you say what the budget is, yeah. you're like, "Okay, I'm I'm in for what it is." But what and you're saying never even what you're saying, though, he knew in the book, he even talks like to him, he was making a movie that was supposed to be released on VHS in the Mexican video the market. Mexican market. He wasn't exactly. trying to make an art film and it turned into that sort of they, they tried to make it that and it wasn't that he was like, I'm making the a movie, garbage action movie. <laughs> but the other thing is, you have to remember the movie when it came out, no one saw it. It wasn't right, right. Desperado that right. people really knew Robert Rodriguez. And even Desperado got like, you know, a, it would have got a 60% on Rotten Tomato. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it's, we live in a different world than that was. Like all you had to do was get a few important people involved. Right. The Thing, which I think might be the only flawless movie. I think The Thing... <laughs> Every frame of that movie is perfect. Yeah. Got panned by critics. critics I mean, Carpenter got panned thing. almost his whole career. And to, his he, whole career. His whole career has been like, eh, and then he, and now he's a legend, you know? Of we, course. We were wrong. Carpenter hasn't. Yeah. Carpenter hasn't made a movie that people are like, this is shit. Oh, wait, no, this is genius. Like, that is Carpenter's career. Right. And like. I honestly think The Thing might be the only movie ever made that there is not a minute that is wasted. There is not a shot that is boring. There is not a frame that should be cut. Right. The score is flawless. Yet, that movie got like, it would have a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> if it came out today. Like, that's insane to it's, me. Do you also think that, I'm a firm believer in that movies need 10 years or more. You yeah, know? of course. Like you yeah. know what I mean. Like, but I, that's why I think when we look no at movies now, yeah, it's too it's too quick of a snap judgment, you know. And no budget filmmakers are the first to go. Okay, I got to move on. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. the opposite. I'm like, I'll be talking about the Good Exorcist twenty years from now and telling <laughs> you all how I made a movie that is this fucking stupid for seven thousand dollars, <laughs> and you should all watch it. But that's. The thing is, you have to, if you don't love your thing you made, no one's going to love it. So you exactly. have to keep just, I mean, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are what, seven years apart? Like, it's not like Sam yes. Raimi, Sam Raimi didn't make Evil Dead and then suddenly the next day he was making Evil Dead 2. He didn't make <laughs> Evil right. Dead 2 and then the next day he was making Army of Darkness. It takes time. Like, you have to put the effort and you have to really love what you made. And I think that's what happened with Army of, or with, with Evil Dead. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these filmmakers who make it is they, I mean, Tim Burton worked for Disney. He got like so many different people involved. He made two shitty features before he made Pee Wee's Big Adventure that you've never seen. I no, watched, I, um, I might have watched one of them a long time ago, but they're not available. I watched Tarantino's first feature. Tarantino made this feature called like, something a birthday it was like my yeah. birthday or something like that something like that oh my god it's so bad <laughs> it's so bad 
and, and then, then he made Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Right, yeah. One of the best movies ever <laughs> written, like a, just a masterpiece of dialogue. Like, you have to believe in yourself or no one's going to believe in you. Right. Well, that's a good thing I'd love to talk to you about is what do you think? Now, we're in COVID, so not right now. Before this all happened, what do you think about indie filmmaking now? Because the one thing that struck me watching Rebel Without a Crew was Robert, God love him, he talked about it like it's still somewhat the same. You know what I mean? When he was talking to you guys on camera and he talked yeah, about yeah. like, I made a movie for 7,000, you guys are going to do it. And even then in my brain, I'm like, 7,000 isn't what $7,000 was when you made El <laughs> You know what I mean? Like part of my, that part of my brain kind of went off. You know what I mean? And also, like, the industry isn't exactly what the industry was when you made El Mariachi. I'm not saying he's wrong, but you, know, you get what I'm, I'm getting at? It's a different... Oh, yeah, I totally get it. Money's oh, yeah. different. The, the world is different. It's all different. Yeah. The way people watch movies is different. Exactly. Like, like, And that's the thing is, like, it's all about shifting to the time. So I've said this before. Like, Robert did what he did. Kevin did what he did. Like, Kevin Smith made his movie for like twenty thousand dollars on credit cards yeah but if you made a movie about people sitting in a you know convenience store now talking about the things that they talk about in clerks that movie would be fucking offensive like no one wants well, to see clerks now let me throw this no out one to you wants too. To see- wouldn't it it wouldn't just be the content it would be the fact that capturing image isn't impressive and yeah. I can shoot if I had the location, I could shoot clerks myself. And I no one would care. No one would want want it. Right. I'm mean, that's not I love clerks, not an insult. But like the actual capturing of image and like like shooting is not impressive. So clerks totally. might have just been Kevin Smith as one of us putting it on YouTube if he made it 30 years later. You know what I mean? Exactly, but that's the thing. Maybe there is a way to put it up on YouTube and become what Kevin is now right. in that way. But we, you just, you have to always be adapting. The road is completely a different road traveled than it ever was. Like the Duplass brothers did their thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone is always finding their different way. And someone will always be on the forefront. Like there will always be, it could be you. It could be anyone. Like someone could come up with the the thing that people are jiving with in that moment. Right. But you just have to find that. Quibby, quibby try. You don't, <laughs> but yeah, but you don't know you have it when you even have it. Here's the thing. I guarantee you there were a hundred other Quentin Tarantino's and Robert Rodriguez's and Kevin Smith's yeah. who are fucking not, what they are <laughs> yeah right. there were other people do there was there was a guy who spent twenty thousand dollars on credit cards when kevin spent twenty thousand dollars on credit cards who is still paying them off now <laughs> yeah. because it's it's just that's the way reality works like those we only look at the glory stories we don't look at the shitty story right and, and I, that, I feel like that's not as to, a filmmaker you know a lot of those right yeah, but that's not to say you shouldn't go for it. Oh, absolutely. Like, you should always absolutely. be trying and just be smart about it and find your path. And that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I've, I'm looking at the Roger Cormans and I'm looking at the, you know, Duplass brothers, the people producing shit and taking, like, educated risks. 
Like I like the educated risk because it doesn't, you, you're never going to really fail if you go, ah, I'll throw a little money at this idea. <laughs> right, right. And when it fails, you go, well, I can make that up over here. Like that <laughs> right. sort of thing is, is really big. But like, yeah, Kevin was the one that took the big risk and, you know, succeeded. And Robert, he's just, he's Robert. He's one of a kind. He went balls to the wall and just, he knew what he was doing and said, fuck it. And Robert's had fuck. I mean, Alita did what it did and the money yeah. is where it, it was what it was. And watching Grindhouse, I think Planet Terror is one of the best movies ever made. But Oh my God, yeah. I mean, I feel like Alita is the first like Hollywood movie he's made. Don't you think? I mean, like, it's, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But like, I that's mean, the most Sin studio City movie. And, yeah, Sin City. You're right. Yeah, but Ali, uh, but uh, uh, Planet Terror cost a ton, and they threw a bunch of money at that movie, and it bombed at the in the theaters. Both of those Grindhouse movies bombed. I remember watching the Grindhouse movies together and thinking they were garbage the first time I saw them. Seriously? I was like, this is, oh my god! I it was a midnight showing on Halloween, like twenty fourteen or whatever. I was like. Oh my God! Why did they do this? Like this is so <laughs> stupid and silly. Can, can now, I ask I, how old are you? Heard, how old are you? How old are you? I'm just curious. You don't have to. If I'm you don't 35. Want I'm 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 35, but I was okay. I'm older than you. All right. <laughs> I didn't know that. I figured I figured I was, I was uh, younger. I'm 35. I was I was what 25 at the time, and I remember seeing uh, not Planet Terror, the other one. Um, death proof, death proof yeah. and being like, what the fuck is Tarantino thinking? <laughs> it's it's women talking for a movie. Yeah. Now it's it might be my favorite Tarantino movie. I know. I, I think it's genius. I, I kind of love Death Proof, but I'm afraid to say it because most people hate it still so much. I love it. I love people it so death much. Proof, I think it's man. genius. Yeah. I think that and Hateful Eight are his like masterpieces. Oh, they're so good. I know. I, I Hateful Eight, it, it went right up my list, and a lot of people still say they can't even stand to watch it, and I'm like... Oh, I've watched I don't it six it. times. I think that, that puking blood scene might be my favorite scene in movie history. <laughs> I love that scene so much. So so Hateful Eight is your your number one Tarantino, is what you're saying. Is that your favorite? <sighs> Man, that is a tough question. Tough question. That is a tough question. My well, favorite gonna... Tarantino. Yeah. My favorite Tarantino. Oof. That was gonna. I was Oof. just gonna say that what... is. A, that's so tough. More on point. What's if you had to choose? What's your favorite Rodriguez? Ooh, man! I had this conversation a lot while we were filming. I think so. I would have said five years ago. I would have said. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I love that movie yeah. so much. But then I, I fell in love with Desperado afterwards. That's mine. I think that, that Desperado is the yeah. most sincere, young, smart, doing whatever the fuck he wants, Rodriguez. Like, that is Rodriguez at his epitome. It's like pulp. It's like everything that is him. It's pulp. It's so yeah. pulp. Yeah. Without trying. I think the problem is, is with, like, Rodriguez, I love every movie. And I'm a huge Machete fan. My dream project is Machete the Animated Series. I would love to direct. Has Machete, that been talked about? Series. Has that been I an actual? I talked to Robert about. Oh, it. you talked to Robert about. It. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I want this to happen right. so bad, but it's 
you know, with legal things and whatever. Oh, it's a mess. But I would love to be a part of Machete, the animated series. If right. they, Robert, if you ever do it, call me, man. You know I'm here for Machete, the animated series. Thank but, you for assuming Robert uh, Rodriguez would listen to this podcast. <laughs> he 100% would. If I put this out, I'm going to add him. Robert, listen. Listen to this show and come on, let's do this. Um, Please. But man, I love Desperado so much. Desperado is it, just it wasn't a... When I was a younger man, it was from Dust Till Dawn. I'll be honest. When I was a younger man. Same, but, same. I'm not even but a younger man. Two years ago, I would have said <laughs> Dust Till Dawn. But now, I just... Yeah. Desperado has this sincerity behind it. Yeah, there's, some, there's something about it. Also, it, it kind of feels like... I mean, it is. It's El Mariachi if the guy had money. Right, I mean, it's yeah, El Mariachi with a budget. That's what it is, and it, it's also with his experience along the way. He already bled at that point. You know what I mean? He bled for the the movie he made before it, and now he he can make the movie with money. And from dusk till dawn has that money behind it too, but it just it has that like Tarantino. It has that amazing yeah. cast, like everything that is involved. It's like okay, you were set up for success. Desperado has this weird like you're set up for failure. <laughs> yeah, like right, it's right. It, it is like sophomore slump, and yet it succeeds so hard. I still say the horror community should have embraced Seth Gecko as a bigger character. I agree. Yes, like you know, 100%. like like not maybe on the level that they've embraced Ash Williams, but like why why doesn't Seth Gecko get any love? Gecko become that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. He totally should. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know why like he's not on T I don't see like T when I go to a hard convention there should be T-shirts it's like George, it's my favorite George Clooney character <laughs> like you never hear about it yeah, uh, Daniel and I were just talking about that how how he is like the when you when someone says Clooney that's what I see but that's not what most people see I would of course not they I guess they would see ER, ER they see yeah. sexy Clooney <laughs> I don't know just they don't see Clooney with the weird haircut and like tattoos and talking to his odd brother <laughs> i guess some people would see coen brothers movies which is also fine i'm not saying that's that bad that you know that's but, fine but he's yeah. still he's still even in that he's like somehow sexier there's something about that like that rodriguez taking clooney and just making him a fucking weirdo yeah he's weird and he's also like a dirty crime slime ball and everything you know what i mean it's got the, he, i guess that's a terrible he, bur he, he burns a man alive in the first like <laughs> 20 minutes of the movie so right. instantly you're like okay this isn't the Clooney i know and love <laughs> right. this is the Clooney i'm gonna love i'm then, gonna love then this maybe i have to say maybe i never love Clooney normally <laughs> like if that's the Clooney yeah. i know and love you know what i mean and isn't that that's how that's how uh, Tusk ended up with Michael Parks, right? You ever hear that story? How like Kevin was watching from Dust Till Dawn, and then it gave oh yeah, the idea yeah. for Parks Michael Parks. Yeah, plays in that movie too. It's Parks so is amazing. Parks is amazing in everything he does. Parks in Kill Bill Two is probably my favorite Parks performance. It's pretty amazing, and the fact that his like Esteban is so good. That's a good question I had for you. Character actors. Your next movie is happening. You can pick one legendary character actor to put in there. Who is it? Oh, Mine would be Michael Ironside. Like a, <laughs> if I had to pick. A live, 
Michael no, let's, good choice. Let's stay alive because or dead makes it insane. Go it with makes alive. It hard. Yeah. You know who I would I would love to work with Jake Busey. I think Jake <laughs> yes. Busey. I, I'm a big Starship Trooper fan. Hell yeah, and man. Jake Busey and Starship Troopers like slays. I. I'm a big Frighteners not, fan too. Like so. I don't know if he's a character actor. Yeah, and Frighteners. I was just gonna say, and Frighteners. Like yeah. I don't know if Jake Busey is really a character actor as much as he is just Jake Busey. But I think <laughs> I could get a really great performance out of Jake Busey. It, he's not ever boring to watch. He's ever. never boring to watch. It's like right? I love the movie Contact, and it's not the type of movie that Jake Busey should be on screen for. But when he is, you're like, what's this guy doing here? He looks like an alien. What's he doing? <laughs> is he the alien? <laughs> right. It's like, it's like a dramatic movie. And all of a sudden, love- whoa. I think Jake Busey would be so fun to work with. Yeah. And then I could get like Gary Busey stories <laughs> out of him while we're right. hanging out on lunch. Like, I think Jake Busey would be so fun. That's a great answer. I was not expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good answer. man. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I can't. I mean, that's not out of the question, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not. No, yeah, man, man, that's the thing. Like, I whenever someone asks me a question, my first response is always like, "What's plausible? What could I actually shoot for?" Like, yeah. I can shoot for the moon and be like, "I want George Clooney in my movie." <laughs> right, that's right. Never gonna happen. But Jake Busey, he might show up and be like, "Hey, man, I heard you talk about me on a podcast one time, <laughs> and I really, really dug Greywood's plot." So if, if Rob I Rodriguez heard, and Jake I Busey heard, listen to my podcast, I'll be able to die a happy man. So thank you oh <laughs> for God, assuming if Jake, that. If Jake, <laughs> if Jake Busey like sends me a tweet and he's just like, dude, I heard you say you wanted to see me in a movie. I would, that would be the best day of my life. Yeah. When COVID's over, tell me where to fly, man. I'm there, you know, like, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there anything like you, you're making something now, right? You're it's, Scumbag? Yeah. You want to talk about I'm that at all? We don't scum- have to if you don't I'm want working to. On, yeah. I'm working on Scumbag right now, which is a movie. I was on Rebel Without a Crew, and I remember sitting there talking to Daniel, and we were talking about like Rebel Without a Crew, this concept of Rebel Without a Crew. What does it mean? And for me, it always was bullshit because I went like, okay, well, Rebel Without a Crew would be me by myself. Someone without a crew is someone alone. Right. Because the second that Daniel shows up and Avery shows up and Brittany shows up, I have a crew. Because these people are so passionate, they become a crew. Like, I have never not had a crew. Right, right. All you have to do is care enough to tell them, grab the microphone, I'm not going to stop you. And really passionate people, grab the microphone and don't let go. Like, it's (laughs) crazy. Brittany, at one point... Our boom pole, we had like a boom pole that we put our shotgun mic on. It broke and like it just wouldn't work. And I was like, I don't know. What do we do? And Brittany was like, oh, let's try this. And we taped the boom mic to a C-stand, like the top of a C-stand. And she was holding this metal pipe over her head. That thing weighed like 25 pounds. And she held it like over her head for 20 minutes. Right. Like that is so uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, now I have a crew. That's bullshit. Like Rebel Without a Crew <laughs> goes out the window the second right. someone holds 25 pounds over their head for 20 minutes. Right. So in my head, I was like, okay, I got to I got to break that. So I've been making a movie by myself in my basement or attempting to. 
And then I've done a bunch of other like side short films and stuff with my kids. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm trying to do all of these different things during COVID because you, you can't stop or you die. So that's one of the projects. Me and Max are working on this other project right now. And we just did a scene today. We filmed a scene today for this uh, short film competition. That is my seven-year-old came in and like went all out on his performance. It's so <laughs> sweet and so funny. And I can't wait to share it with everyone because I was sitting there directing him today and I'm like, go big. Like, this is your line. Go big. And then he just oh, like went all in. I'm like, oh my God, people are going to love this. But uh, yeah, so I'm working on Scumbag, which is a movie I'm making by myself. And it's slowly but surely coming together. I don't want it to feel like a COVID movie, though. That's the big thing is like, I don't want it to feel forced because of what's happening right now. Yeah. So, you know, it's not filmed we'll on Zoom. It'll... So, right. <laughs> it's not filmed. It's not, I wish, nothing I wrong with that. that but Dude. I'm just saying. It... Did you see Host? No, I haven't. Host was I, it's on my so list. Good. Mm -hmm. oh, I've heard. Watch it tomorrow. It's so good. It's really good. It is. Oh, my God. I wanted to hate it and I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much. And wasn't oh. it like like number three in the country at one point for like because because yes, no movies are being amazing. shown. Yeah, no movies are being shown, and that movie should have sucked. And it's so good. It is. <laughs> oh, Shutter has. I, it's the best movie I've seen in the past. Like, I don't even know. Like, I so I went and saw the Lighthouse. I have not the seen it before. I Before COVID hit, the Lighthouse hit theaters. I went, hated it. I saw the Lighthouse and I was like, what a convoluted, like, pretentious pile of shit. It's my favorite movie now. <laughs> this is why, like, when, when someone when someone shits on my movie, I'm always like, in seven years, they're going to love it's it, the dude. best movie ever. Yeah. Hey, that's ha that's like, happened to me so many times in my life where I've been like, fuck this. And then all of a sudden it's in top five. You know what I mean? Big Lebowski. The Shining was the the, uh, the Big Lebowski. I hated the I Big Lebowski. I watched the Big Lebowski on Comedy Central. That movie, they tore it apart. I remember watching it on Comedy Central, and I'm like, this movie makes no sense. This is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. Now it's a masterpiece. Like, yeah. I love the Big Lebowski. Right, One exactly. of the best movies ever made. I saw it in theaters, and I was mad I spent money on it. And then, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, it's like a staple. of. I could watch it 20 times That was times me with The Lighthouse. <laughs> I watched the lighthouse, walked out of the theater. I was so mad. I'm like, these fuckers made a four-three movie, black and white. They think they're so smart. You sons of bitches. Went home. Movie came out on VOD, and I'm like, you know what? All right, I'll rent it. I'll rent it. I'll watch it one more time. I'll give it a chance. I rented it, and I'm like, okay, fine. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I'll give it. I watched it like twenty times. I watched it so many times. I'll probably watch it tonight. All right, Honestly, all right. I'm, I'm gonna watch it. I promise. I'll watch it. I, I should have by now. I haven't. If I hate it, I'll it let you know. Weirdest, <laughs> it's it's such artsy fartsy bullshit. But for, there's something about two white men getting drunk and bickering that just hits home for me. White it men in, hits home. in like pea coats dressed like sea captains. I mean, we, we, you want to see that, right? But the, it's so gross. I think the thing that threw me off was I didn't expect a movie to be that gross. Mm -hmm. 
And I watch it and it was just like, oh, you're just nasty. You're just nasty boys. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes, nasty boys. <laughs> it's like the jackass of the modern era. You have to get artsy fartsy to be the jackass now. I think almost you could look back at jackass and call it artsy fartsy now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know, right? Because <laughs> I look back on it now and I, I, uh, I look at it and I'm like, this is the best documentary about male bonding that will ever exist and it totally doesn't know it is <laughs> you know what i mean it's uh, just that's exactly right no dude you're so on it's and so, it's of its era in a way it's not just the stunts it's not just the stunts that's what i'm saying there's something else there no the stunts are the, the, are the part that you don't really care about it's the like <laughs> weird male bonding of the era where you're just like man what a simple time where you could just slap another guy <laughs> And that was comedy. <laughs> that was comedy. Like you, all of you laughing at one of your friends getting covered in shit. It's brings. Yep. It's not the fact that he got covered in shit. It's that it brought you all together, and you're doing it, and it's a memory. There's something about that. You know yeah. what? I heard that they were shooting another Jackass, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to be the most emo movie ever made," <laughs> because it has to be in this right. era right now. The new Jackass. It, it's got to be four guys in you know, COVID masks who can't be around <laughs> each other yeah. who are literally sitting around going like, remember when we did this and every white man in the United States is going to cry going, remember when we did Dude, this? Dude, it's such a formative time in my life. I don't know about They're going to win an you know. Oscar. Oh my God, yes. Also, like... As a filmmaker, as an artist, like right now it is that moment where we all are just going, what the fuck are we doing and why are we doing it? Also, like in a in a time where, and let's be honest, where death is so prevalent in our discussion and our lives, it's on the news. We have counters. Jack, will jackass hit the same people putting themselves in danger for for entertainment? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> in a time yeah. where we're constantly talking about a plague that's killing million, you know, uh, killing people all across the globe. It's like it's hard. It's a hard play there, man. It actually affects filmmaking in general outside of just the. The filming itself, right? Like, well, that's tone. the funny thing. Like, talking to people about Borat 2, <laughs> yeah. we watched Borat 1, and Borat 1, when you watch it, it's literally a guy just being an asshole. And then Borat 2 is like a movie about a father and daughter. Yeah. And it hits home because, like, a lot of us are sitting there going, like, we want that emotional resonance. Mm -hmm. So when someone goes, man, I love Borat 2, you're like, why? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's not because of the Giuliani thing or no. the other stuff. It's this weird, like, emotional resonance the movie actually played. Yeah, I, I think it's... That's what we wanted. We actually wanted that. So maybe that movie won't stand the test of time the way Borat 1 did, but it hit in a way now that we really needed. <laughs> no, I, I I would say... I said my one friend watched it, and they said it was, you know, it was fine. They wanted more of the gotcha stuff. And I was like, you know what though? I was like, remove that part of your brain. And I was like, Bo Rat 2, I, and I love Bo Rat Run 1, but Bo Rat 2 is actually kind of a good comedy movie with heart. Yeah, it's just a good like, comedy it, movie. It, like, it, I know everyone wants the gotcha stuff. It's more like stuff. Tommy Boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. more like Tommy Boy than it is like Bo Rat 1. Like, we wanted just a good comedy and that's what it is yeah you but i think people need to watch like, it again to get that part of it they don't they're not they're, yeah. they're waiting for the the who is america aspect of it you know what i mean when his you know like when he was doing who is america that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. that was where i was like it's obvious to me throughout his career that he wants to do narrative comedies like 
Totally. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's obvious and that and obviously the other ones that he did didn't pay didn't pay out, obviously. Bo Rat did, you know, like the the live stuff with the real interviews and everything. But I think he'll But move it's the same that. thing that happened with Team America. When Team America <laughs> dropped, I remember people just being like, Oh, this is weird. Like it's so <laughs> story driven and like odd and Yeah. The jokes are really big at some points, but they're small at others. And it was a weird, convoluted mess. And it is, but it totally under it. It, it under we get there's there will never be a better Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer parody ever than that movie. Of course not. No. And and a lot of the people who didn't like it, they were like, it's kind of like a Jerry Bruckheimer. Like it was so (laughs) good at what it did. It was almost as good as a Michael Bay movie. So no. you sat there going like, okay, so they're doing Michael Bay as good as Michael Bay, <laughs> and they're doing like "fuck you" to Michael Bay as good as "fuck you" to Michael Bay can be. I don't like this. So the movie got like a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but that's because people didn't quite get it. Whereas the people who did get it were like, "Holy shit, this is genius." I think something that Trey Parker is really great at, and like you said with Borat, is that. The joke isn't really about the specific thing that he's making fun of. Like, that's my Bush. Remember when he did that's my Bush? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The joke really was not about Bush. It was making fun of sitcoms. It just used the template of something completely absurd and, you know, and everything. But it was actually a great sitcom parody. It had nothing really to do with Bush. Like, it was just using him as a a figure. And I think Team America is much the same. Like, Team America is making fun. It's like the best possible you know michael bay movie but ridiculous you know like trey parker could totally make a michael bay movie if he wanted to you know everyone thought team america was going to be the straight up fuck you to bush like a total mock of america right it turned out to be more of a mock of shitty action movies (laughs) than it was of what we were living in at the time which is weird and now i would i know trey parker like back then i i I was young so i thought that's what he was gonna do but now i see everything he's ever done and i'm like okay i totally get it now it's not because he doesn't like pick a side he just he's just using it as a genre joke (laughs) you know i sat through the book of mormon next to a mormon and an (laughs) atheist and i I'm somewhere in the middle of those two concepts. Okay. So it was like this genius, like coming together of minds. And we all laughed so hard through the whole thing. Like, I, I didn't know the guy sitting on one side of me. I didn't know the guy sitting on the other side of me. I just sat there with these two guys and we all were dying laughing. I still think that was the best piece of entertainment I've ever seen in my life. Once again, I the Book I've of not Mormon is it. number one. Oh, my God. The Book of Mormon was the number one best piece of entertainment. Movie, book, music, anything ever. (laughs) Trey Parker and Matt Stone made the greatest piece of entertainment ever written in history for me. For two two guys, they sure seem to do that a lot, don't they? I mean, like, if I look back on my life, seeing South Park the movie and Team America in theaters are two of the best theater experiences in my entire life. You know what I mean? Like, there's... so I remember. <laughs> I have a funny story that I don't know if I've ever told before. Oh, but please! My friend's mom dropped us off to see South Park, the movie. Okay, I was maybe eleven, twelve, something like that, pre pre high school. She dropped us off, and we walked up to the booth, straight up, like in the movie, and we were like, 
three took tickets for South Park and they were like, IDs, please. And we were three like 12 year old boys. We didn't look like adults. We looked like 12 year old boys. And we were like, well, fuck, we're not getting into this movie. So we walked away and we walked outside and we're like, well, what do we do? I don't know. I guess we buy tickets to Wild Wild West. So we went up and we bought we bought tickets to Wild Wild West. We sat through Wild Wild West and then we snuck in. Like we walked around the corner as Wild Wild West ended and we were like, is anyone looking? Go, 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 go. And we ran into <laughs> South Park and went and watched South Park just like the kids in the movie would have done. That's amazing, and we're like, dude. Yes, yes, <laughs> this is what we wanted. It was like the best movie theater experience as a 12-year-old kid like sneaking into the movie that you weren't supposed to see, which is about a movie <laughs> About kids Which is a, not supposed to see movies. Right, it's a movie about <laughs> South Park, the movie existing. It's fucking incredible. I, I Yeah, I don't we think... We had a meta moment where we all looked at each other and we were like, this is fucked up. We're living through this. <laughs> is there anything better than... We're, like, if I could bring a moment back to my life, it would be sitting in the theater hearing Uncle Fucker for the first time again. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I was not... I just remember how I was not prepared for that. And I was like upside down in my seat laughing. I've never seen anything like that before. You know what I mean? Just to the only time that. I laughed, the only time I laughed harder was sitting through Passion of the Christ with a bunch <laughs> of nuns sitting next to me. Oh no shit! And that's a true story. Nuns <laughs> crying, watching so Jesus good. being like literally. It was like Eli Roth torture porn. Bloody! I mean, that movie is so gory that even me, being a horror fan, I was like. <laughs> are we watching like a little to bit these much nuns. a little bit much right i remember sitting next to me uh, so my story on passion of the christ is really simple my mom is really religious i took her to see it and i'll never forget she was quiet the entire movie didn't budge. she hates horror movies hates them watches the entire movie as soon as it's over she turns to me and she says well that was it <laughs> Like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what did you want? She's like, I thought this was supposed to be really like gory. And I was like, you wanted more? <laughs> and oh she, she didn't think it went far enough. And I was like, oh my God. But yet, she can't even watch what a horror did movie. Jesus. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Uh, I, sat, I sat through that movie next to like six nuns who bawled the whole time. <laughs> and I was sitting there like, oh my God. He hasn't even got the nails in his hands yet. Like, it's going to get worse, ladies. I'm sorry, but Dude, it's going to get worse. But come on. How great was the moment when you walked in and you saw you were about to sit next to nuns? Watching the oh, I picked the, the spot. Okay. It's, it's, okay. It, I could have sat anywhere else, but I saw six nuns. And I'm like, well, that's where we're sitting. Did you hear like <laughs> any other, did. when there were reviews, when it was over, did they say anything like, oh, that was pretty good. That was a good movie. <laughs> I mean, did they like oh. it. No, we, they, they didn't make it through the movie. We got to the part where Jesus got the nails through the hands and like the six nuns got up and walked out. And then I got up and walked out with them because I just had to hear what they had to say. They walked out into the like lobby and they were like, it's just too much. It's just too much. And I was like, OK. And I went back in. God, and watched the rest. Not that I'm not that I think it's I want to like argue for the passion of the Christ, but you'd think people that devoted their entire existence 
when Lee stated to the, the credits. torture of a man. Yeah, I right. know exactly. Yeah, like, That's exactly. I, I wanted to say that, but I was too young. Didn't, and now, the, if that like, happened, I would have been like, no, gals, I'll buy your sodas. <laughs> let's go back. Also, back then, didn't the Pope like give it his stamp of approval? Like the Pope said he it did. Yeah. And and the movie's pretty on point with what happened, like well, with what the book says. So, you know, it's just funny that nuns would be like, nope, the thing that I've devoted my life to, I can't watch it actually happen. I according to Mel Gibson, according it. to Mel Gibson, you know, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I heard one nun say, I don't think it's bad. I just can't watch it. That's, I was like, I oh, guess that's fair. Wow. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But I wonder if Eli I Roth like, likes what? it. I, <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if he did. He probably yeah, I, I he probably was bored. <laughs> I don't know. He likes Eli some pretty Roth, wild stuff. So, uh, yeah, he also does like when you have to set up a character and like, you know, 3000 years of setting up a character to see them bloodied on screen. That's right. kind of Eli Roth's M.O. I, I, I'm a fan of him as a person as far. But I his movies, not they don't always speak to me. I'll be honest, but I'm a big fan of the green inferno i think that really? movie gets underplayed i think i think the green inferno is his one great movie i think really? that movie okay. is yeah i i really love that movie i'm I'll, i'm kind of indifferent I, i've seen it but yeah a lot of people have seen it I, I saw it in the theater and didn't like it the first time I actually hated it the first time yeah and you know walked out of it going like so he went cannibal holocaust, but kind of boring. And then I watched it again a few years later, and I was like, I kind of like the characters and sort of like the the gore. I think I like that movie. I, I no, and now There's I love no, it. The I gore think is Green good. Inferno, the gore is good. No one's saying it's not. I love yeah. I love that movie. It's I mean it's if you if you get what the Hannibal if you get what Hannibal Holocaust is. And you understand who Eli Roth is, it's kind of a masterpiece. I really like no, it. I, I, I think can see it's, what you're saying. It's really I don't know. I I have a hard time explaining why I love it, but I I also just I like it. I like the movie. I think it's good. Um I tried I watched Knock Knock and did <laughs> not like that one bit. And I should have loved I love Keanu Reeves. I love that idea. That movie fucking no, I'll say this: Knock Knock seemed like it was Eli Roth being sarcastic, like it, he like he didn't even seriously it, direct the movie. It was just like the way that the performances were and stuff. It was like it's, he can't be serious the whole time I was watching. Right, but oh, but I, they, I'll, I admit me. the end joke made me laugh. Like when when Keanu Reeves is using his finger to try to not post the thing and he accidentally hits send when he's buried alive. Yeah, I but was like, okay, that's joke, pretty funny. But the but the joke isn't worth the work that goes into it as opposed to like it, to me it was it was what uh like um funny games it was like Eli Roth's version of funny games right except it wasn't as good as funny games like funny games is a fuck you to the audience right this wasn't enough of a fuck you to the audience. I don't know. Knock knock just bugged me. No, but I, it, it gave us the free. Pizza I'm with speech. you though. It gave us that free pizza speech, which I think it's been yeah right. It's really popular on YouTube because it is really funny, and it's Keanu. It's not fair because Keanu is better than that movie, but like that yeah, delivery. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what bugged him. me. What bugged me was the fact that it was someone I I love Eli Roth, and I think. He as a person, he's amazing. I think Cabin Fever is a great movie. Maybe the best Hidden setup. 
the setup joke payoff ever in a movie. Yeah. And I and I think I think that he has a lot of really great ideas in him. I'm just not a hostile fan and I'm not I just get bored. I don't know. I and I so, think that Green Inferno is amazing, but uh, but I also think he is the epitome of someone who can make a movie for someone at a given moment that they're in. Yeah. So like the way I love Green Inferno, that's because I was in the right moment when I saw it. And he's making a movie for like 20% of the audience, which is what I respect. His audacity is kind of charming. The fact that I don't, whenever I see him, whenever he talks about his own movies and stuff, I don't feel like he cares that they're not like cultural touchstones. Like he kind of wants them to be hidden gems on a shelf. Well, the irony of the fact that Hostel probably has as many haters as The Good Exorcist does. And it's a movie I made for seven thousand dollars. Like, so, can yeah, I? He, can we talk about that for a second? People hate the good. You're yeah, getting yeah. a lot of hate for the Good Exorcist, and it's not because of the religious connotations. You're saying it's just they hate the movie. Is what you're saying? It, it's just I think the people who hate it just don't get that it was made for nothing. They watch the movie thinking it's going to be a good movie, <laughs> like it's going to be like a big budget movie, and they get lost in that concept. Right. So like. It's really hard to watch a Marvel movie and then watch The Good Exorcist. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like it's that's it, they're not the same thing. But like, it's, it's rare that a movie thing. like The it Good just... Exorcist is going to have a budget like a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? Like of course, it's very yeah. rare that that will happen. It just you, to, for that story, you're going to have to make some concessions. A lot of concessions. <laughs> right, right. Greywood's plot even more. Like right. Greywood's plot, like that's why it's amazing that Tusk got made because like it's a movie about a man who turns another man into a walrus. My movie is about a man who wants to be turned into a dog man. Like it, those <laughs> yeah. are very weird movies. And do you, once and I, you embrace the fact that you, you have to make it with nothing, like then you can do whatever you want. I kind of, I, do you feel the same as me with like how Kevin Smith has used his, like Kev, he's used like the Smodcast celebrity to actually make his own, like whenever anyone insults his movies now, I'm like, yeah. But the thing is, the dude makes four million dollar movies and then he pays them all off with his very own built in audience. So if you hate them, it doesn't matter. The guy is making yeah. the movies well, he wants to make, and the people that want the movies are getting them and they're paying the movies off. I was like, Kevin Smith actually kind of figured it out. You know what I mean? Dude, I beat the system before I started. When I did The Good Exorcist, I didn't pay $7,000 to make my movie. <laughs> right, yeah, Robert yeah, Rodriguez yeah. paid $7,000 movie. <laughs> Plus, I got paid to be on a reality Bloody show. show. Right. So I got, I, 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 that movie, for me personally, made money before I ever started filming. Mm-hmm. Plus, I got a per diem that I saved. You know, like every week we got some money to go buy food. Instead of buying food, I ate carrots and put that money towards my next movie. Like, Grey Woods was paid for from working on The Good Exorcist. <laughs> awesome, and man. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I just I saved every dollar I made because I don't need to buy food. They have a fridge full of carrots. I'm going to eat carrots for the fucking week. <laughs> and, like, there was always, you know, beer. There was always a, a lone stars in the fridge so i could drink lone stars in the fridge if i wanted to i mean that mentality goes right with the book 
That's the mentality of the book. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I just went with the mentality of the book. So right. I've never paid a dime. And then afterwards, I made sure that I got the rights back to sell T-shirts. So I sold the Good Exorcist T-shirts to make money. I've made money off of this movie already. That's awesome. Like, I've personally made money off of The Good Exorcist because I didn't pay jack shit for it. <laughs> but I talked to all these people who were like, I spent $20,000 on my movie and I need to find a way to make money back. And I'm like... Well, that was your problem. You spent $20,000 on the movie. Right. With Greywood's plot, I spent the money that most people spend going on a vacation to Acapulco or Mexico or whatever. Like, I just put in two grand and I was like, okay, this year I'm going to put two grand into making a dogman mask, booze, hotel room for my buddies. It was the best vacation we ever went on. Me and my friends went on a vacation to make a movie and that's what we did. We right. made Greywood's plot. So, like... I never spent a dime because it was always fun for me. And then we made a movie and now I get to make money off of that movie. And so budgets don't matter when you don't think about the budget of it. Right, right. Also, on top of all that, you know, you got to work with like your dream guy, too. Like, it wasn't course, just that yeah. that funded another movie. It's like you got to be on television and work with Robert well, Rodriguez. Well, that's what the big thing was. At, there was a one point while we were like writing and figuring this out that I turned to Daniel and I was like, dude, I don't think I want to do this. Like, I don't, I wasn't built for reality TV. I'm a white dude with a fucking goatee in Minnesota. <laughs> like, I am not reality TV material. And Daniel turned to me and he was like, let's just go be idiot dads. Like, worst case scenario, we look like idiots on TV and have fun doing it. Like, as long as we don't take it seriously, no one is going to go, those assholes, oh, fuck them. They're going to go, those were idiots on reality TV. They had a fun <laughs> time and they didn't make a movie. <laughs> we made a movie. Like, we somehow pulled it off. Like, we did it. Like, yeah. that's all we care about is that we did it and look like idiots on TV while we did it. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I thought you came off, uh, like, you, some of your uh, cohorts were a little bit less reserved, but you were... You seem like you were very on task most of the time. I wouldn't call it, you didn't come off like an idiot, man. But I mean, I, I was reserved, I kind of related at, to at you. At one the most. point, yeah, yeah. At one point, I was almost peeing my pants, laughing at Avery in the front of the. I just, I was laughing so hard because I was having fun. Yeah, I think without Daniel, I don't know if I would have had that much fun. And what I come across on the show is like, I was having a blast. And that is not a lie. I was having a straight up blast. I went on a vacation to make a movie with Robert Rodriguez. And that's all you guys get to see on the reality show. That's the truth. It, it wasn't reality. It was a documentary. That was me being me. And I had a fun time. It's great, man. Now, do you, do you, is there any follow-up correspondence with that? Or is that like, I get, I'm not asking Yeah, you, I, I, like, do you still talk to, him can you do that is that something that yeah i talked to yeah yeah so i worked on red 11 and i've worked on other robert stuff recently or within the last couple of years and like with covid it's obviously slowed down but sure. like uh, you know i if robert's listening <laughs> i would love to do i mean i talk we, we i have his email we chat every now and again and we can talk but you know it's the same thing as you'd expect it would be where it's like you know you're it's Robert Rodriguez working on a movie with Ben Affleck right now, and I am making my next movie in my basement by myself. So, 
you get as much correspondence as you get. But uh, El Rey Network has been amazing. Cece, who was on the show as well, she's been great, and like everyone is awesome. That's awesome. Man. Um, but you you the thing that I think a lot of people feel or the reason why they drop off is because they get something awesome like this and then they feel like that should be their big break and when it's you know when they're not jimmy cameron they don't keep keep pushing they don't keep pushing you gotta keep pushing you gotta keep grinding you gotta keep pushing yeah and that's what robert did robert made two movies after el mariachi that no one saw like he did these things on the side made for tv movies before he made uh desperado like you you gotta you got to do those other things and you got to work your ass off. And that's the, that's what I'm doing right now is just trying to work my ass off to make sure people know how much I care. I mean, it shows in the work, man. I mean, I was a fan of you on Twitter and then you sent me all that stuff and I became a fan of your stuff. So it, nice. sho- it shows in the work. Um, I guess it's also a good place to ask where can people find that stuff? Is that available for rent? The good or- extras. Yeah, so The Good Exorcist is available on 2B TV with commercials, oh, awesome. but I feel I feel like the movie is best with commercials. <laughs> like so when Daniel and I set out to make The Good Exorcist, we were like, okay, we have $7,000 on a reality show. That's really going to be like what? $3,000 and reality show bullshit. Yeah. Let's make a 90s movie you'd see on USA at midnight. Perfect, like, man. That's what we yeah. that's what we wanted to make. Like we wanted to make that movie that Joe Bob would be showing late night on, you know, TBS and no one was watching except for the few kids up going, Was that a killer teddy bear? <laughs> right, that's right. fucked up. I'm in. So we set out to make that and like that's what the good exorcist is. So I really think on two V TV, it's if there are commercial breaks, that's the time to go get more popcorn or beer. Like just <laughs> enjoy it but it will it's also available on amazon to buy commercial free and it's on troma now commercial free oh awesome okay and then we're putting out uh uh i'm working with troma to put out blu-rays right now so we're hopefully gonna have some troma blu-rays but then uh graywood's plot is available on joshstifter.com there's like a uh digital download so you can get an h264 file which is like a dot mp4 so you can put it on a hard drive and plug it into your TV and watch it on there and a ProRes. You, so you can re-edit it. Quali- <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can, yeah, you basically can. Like the movie yeah. is the highest quality possible ProRes. Like you get everything. And then there's like bonus features. There's audio commentaries, all of that stuff. If you get the digital download. Cool. Um, We're hoping to put out a Greywoods plot Blu-ray very, very, very soon. So we'll see what happens with that. That's awesome, man. I mean, I'm I'm anyone listening to this, I'm highly recommending to check them out. I was not expecting I think after uh I watched Greywood's plot first. Yeah. I was not like I didn't know like I watched Greywood's plot and I think because of what I had seen on Rebel Without a Clue Without a Crew, I was expecting it to be a much different movie. I don't know why. I think I was expecting it to be more like the good exorcist. And I was like, yeah. Oh, is this what the this is what he is? Uh, this is what his stuff is? Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know, but yeah, uh, they, they're, I think they're both like, they're both very you, but they're also both like, they fill that both sides of your brain type of thing. It's awesome, man. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They're very, very, very different. 
They are. And I, I think one of the big things that people don't understand is like they both start out silly and stupid and weird, but then one goes very emotional and one goes very dark. And like that, I like that. I like a movie that halfway through shifts. So like, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I think both of my mo- movies are a, a very much. Yeah. Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a masterpiece. God, that's genius. Right. And like that movie is genius because of the fact that it's about an idiot man that suddenly becomes relatable on every level. And I love that about that movie. So like that shift when your brain suddenly flips and goes like, oh, wait, Pee Wee isn't just a moron. He's kind of all of us. That's yeah. what I want to do. Like, I I love that the good exorcist is like Doug or it's like a, a Father Gill and Stanley are these weird ass characters. And then when the movie kind of shifts, you're like, oh, but there's like kind of like a weird religious element to this movie. And like <laughs> yeah, yeah. it actually is getting into like some deep concepts. And Greywood's plot, it's like, oh, these two idiot also, friends are out in the woods, the, I think, pissing in the woods and acting like assholes. And then suddenly the movie becomes like, oh, it's a it's a darker thing yeah, than what right. I thought. Well, with, with The Good Exorcist, I don't think I was expecting it. I think I was expecting it to not have so much like dry humor, if that's. Like the, yeah, it's the, dry. like like oh, yeah. There's a lot of dry in there. Like it's not just the, the crazy effects and you know like you know the teddy bear and everything. It's it's also like them all sitting around like talking about what the hell's going on. Like that. Uh, that's yeah. what I actually kind of found funny about. Like really truly funny about <laughs> yes. it. Uh, and if you think if if you find dry humor funny, if you find like a man sitting around going. Don't break mother's things. <laughs> right, funny, right, right, like yeah. that. To me, that's like one of the funniest moments of the movie. And <laughs> is when the dad turns to Father Gill and he's like, "I don't know about this demon shit, but if any of mother's trinkets get broken, she's gonna have a shit hemorrhage." Like that to <laughs> me is like such an <laughs> awkward sense of humor. It also has this vibe of like, man, it's a weird one, but down and out in Beverly Hills, you know, we're like. An outsider comes into a household and changes everyone's lives, sort of, and they're, like, attached to him in a weird way. Everyone has their own attachment to him. That's what it kind of reminded me of a little bit, too. Um, but I will say this. I love this. that. Down and out in Beverly <laughs> Hills. Hill. This is bad. I love that movie. It's a great movie. That. They were, your movie reminded me of that movie, so take that as you will. Um and, That's a total like <laughs> '90s epitome of '90s movie. That is what yeah. we were trying to make. It's like down and out and every. Yeah, yeah. Like Father Gill would be like, you know, he's the the bum who comes to live with the rich people and teaches them yeah. about an outside opinion. <laughs> and they're like, you know, it's just in your movie, it's just an exorcist that lives with a family who's never encountered it before. Um, but I will say, anyone that watches Greywood's plot, I don't want to give away that. It, I don't want to say that it it was a bummer to me because the very ending well, I will not spoil I don't I don't, let's not spoil it made me laugh out loud the last shot of the movie yeah so even in all <laughs> the darkness that you you laid out that moment I was like all right that's great that's what made me fall in love with it that moment right there it's, I don't want to spoil it though <laughs> I I will say for me personally it's a move like if I had to choose, if right now you were like, you could pick one of your movies to make a sequel to, I would pick Greywood's plot because, like, really? I want to know. Yeah, because 
Greywood's Providence. I want to know where Greywood's goes next. I want to know what it's like for him. I mean, it, it's the Frankenstein. Story. Would you do like a what happens? Would it be a different, almost like a different genre leap, or would you keep the same type of tone? Or would you do like a Gremlins two type of thing, where you take this, where you take that starting point and go nuts with it? You know, Gremlins two is a good example, but it would be the exact opposite of what Gremlins two did. Okay, so Gremlins two went like straight up B movie, over the top, goofy, making fun I of the Ray sequels and the original and all that. Yeah. Gravewood, Gravewood's Providence would be a very, very serious movie. It would be the second <laughs> half of the Frankenstein story. Yeah. Because Frankenstein is, when you make Frankenstein, then the townspeople have to find out about it. Right. Well, we never saw what happened when the townspeople find out about what Greywoods is doing. I want to make the movie when the townspeople find out, especially in the modern era of social media. Right. What happens when Gray, when Greywoods tape that he hands off, uh, spoiler alert, but... The tape gets hand off at the end. And what happens when we know what he has created? I want to see that movie. I want to know what happens when Frankenstein's monster is unleashed on the world. I would absolutely so that watch would be, that movie. That's the movie I want to make next. <laughs> Hear that? Anyone with money? I know, somebody, seriously. Somebody. That is what it's come down to. Jake like, Busey, if you're listening. And, right. Oh my god, and Jake Busey as a weird fucked up Greywoods monster. Hell yeah, and we don't man. even set it up. He just pops up like the dog in, in uh the uh um the uh what the fuck is the movie? The spores travel through space. You got um, I'm lost. Invade invasion of the body snatchers. Invasion of the body snatchers. There's a All scene right. where that the dog with the man, the weird bearded man face pops up. I want to be, I want that Jake Busey dog that to man head Busey. to pop up. And I want Jake Busey just to be hired for a day to be like a weird dog man head who's just like, Aah! hey man, you get some of these guys, they have a day rate that might be affordable for one day. You know what I mean? I know Jake Busey probably does. I could get Jake Busey on. I think I remember, if I'm not mistaken, I remember somebody telling me Dan Aykroyd was like 25K for a day. So, oh man, I could, if that I could get Dan Aykroyd, Jake Busey has got to be a little less, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, oh definitely less. Yeah. Jake Busey and I are going to work together someday. <laughs> I believe in it, man. If I ever have, if I ever talk to Jake Busey, <laughs> I'm pointing him right to your movies. Um, I love it. Is there anything? Thank number one, dude. Seriously, thank you for doing this. Um, yeah, totally. This one, this is awesome. I think we have our taste is extremely similar. Uh, which I guess I kind of got from Twitter. I could feel it. Uh, is there anything else that you want to plug or like point people to besides the movies, which I'm encouraging anyone listening to watch? I mean, I'm all over social media at Josh Stifter on Twitter, um, at Flush Studios on Instagram, and then JoshStifter.com. Just check me out. I mean, if you search me online, I am. You pop up. We did this a couple. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, my family was doing like look up each other on on Google, like Google each other. That's not fair. You were, were on like, television. Oh. <laughs> I know they were like, "Oh, Facebook, you have a Facebook thing on Google. Oh, look, your your school thing pops up. Oh, Josh, mine is like a hundred things long of like. I mean, I just so much internet. I am all over the internet. So, so just look up your me. name, basically, and they'll, yeah. they'll find, if they want it, they'll find it. You'll find me. 
Okay. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for being on here. I can't wait what you do next, dude. And anytime Thanks for having me, hopefully, hopefully scumbag, I'm going to be working on it and you guys can check out scumbag. And, uh, I've got two other features I've been writing recently that we're hoping to shoot in the spring. One of them is starring the other guy from Greywood's plot, Keith, okay. who is uh, Miles in Greywood's plot, like my other my friend. I, my dream is to make him the star of a movie, so I'm, I'm going to work on that. It's a movie where Keith goes to kill his dad with his two imaginary puppet friends. So that's the movie I'm working on right that's now. That's amazing, man. Well. If you ever need, if you ever want to just talk about stuff, you ever want to uh, pimp stuff on the podcast, you let me know, man. You're always welcome back. I just, you know, dude, we should just we should just get together and talk about Eli Roth again. That's fun for yeah, me. man. I'm Robo always down Cop or anything. Yeah, I'm I'm down. I mean, I have on this channel alone, I have two movie podcasts, or so I'm down to talk movies whenever whenever you you want to. So let me know. You know, always. Yeah. Always. All right. Uh, I think. I think that's good, man. I'm going to stop recording. Right on.